Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalising our natural resources, minimising waste and maximising human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to September's edition of the Waste Not Want Not podcast. Though slightly later this month, the synchronicity of publishing now aligns exquisitively with the equinox and the profound content of the conversation with my guest, Dr. Kim Yobst, about awakening to the meaning of life, growth, expansion and evolution. Here in the Southern Hemisphere, the spring equinox is all about awakening and creation, while in the Northern Hemisphere, the autumn equinox is a time to recalibrate and acknowledgement of one's growth and expansion as a natural evolution of our being. My guest Kim Yobbs is an award-winning metaphysician and consultant in integrative medicine dedicated to integration in science, healing and holistic healthcare. His mission is to establish and use the science of meaning to serve as a healer of peoples and nations. He studied and worked alongside Dr. Anthony Stevens, Dr. Donnie Epstein, Tony Robbins, Michael Harris and Dr. John Martini, and was invited by His Holiness the Dalai Lama to discuss global health and mental well-being for mankind in 1991. Ten years ago, he was presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award for his services to integrative medicine by none other than the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I'm deeply privileged to call Kim a friend and colleague and invite you now to enjoy an enthralling conversation I had with him about how we can alchemise our own potential using the elixir of curiosity to tune into our inner compass and awaken the potential within our own being. It is my absolute delight to have my dear friend, Dr. Kim Yobbs, with me today. And Kim, it was eight and a half years ago, we met in Melbourne at the launch of the inspirational Bible that our dear friend, Emily Gower, had put together. And what a spectacular night that was. And I just think, isn't it delicious that we still have that amazing connection today? So welcome. Thank you. Um delighted to be here absolutely delighted and yes that was a truly remarkable gala that emily brought together to launch that book and just to give it a plug it's a compilation of 365 pieces of contributions from people who want to share something about their life that has happened in their life that they perceived or understood that they feel might be of benefit to somebody else one day if ever they picked up a book and were in crisis or needed inspiration. And it's got some gems in it, absolute gems. It has, and the beauty of it is there was 365 participants and they were all a page long, so you could flick through it and you'd land on the page that you actually needed that day. 
I bought about half a dozen um, copies and left them in places and just trusted that whoever needed it would actually pick it up. Absolutely. The quote that I put in there was, to be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Now, that was a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And to me, it speaks volumes about the nature of my own work, because I'm a bit of a nonconformist. And it's really about being curious. Mm. And I think the state of the world today and people and what's going on outside, there's a disease of lack of curiosity and people not being curious about what they are fed either on the news or hear from someone and how curiosity helps expand our growth and understanding and creates more compassion and different perspectives and really meaning to life. And I know that is something that you are passionate about and growing into more and more yourself. And I listened to an interview that you gave on, I think it was Resonant Rising. I was listening to this and I was jumping up and down and talking to you with excitement because you said something in there, you are alive to the extent that you are in question. And that really sparked it. And it's a huge thing. It's something that you heard. Could you expand on that for us? Wow. There's a lot in what you've just said. Um, yes. I want to pick up on your quote, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you into something else is the greatest achievement. I love that quote. In fact, it makes me feel quite emotional and beyond emotional. It's an inspiring quote because what it contains within it actually is what leads to and inspires curiosity and what I said, which I will come to. And it's an incredible thing when you think about it, that there are, are thousands of treatises written over the millennia from different traditions and different peoples that are all actually saying the same thing, that there is this something that we know is ourself, that is true, that is me, that is authentic and real, and that when that is discovered, when it is sensed and known, people are actually willing to die for it. Wow. I find that deeply, deeply, deeply affirming. Mm -hmm. I happen to, it's not a belief any longer, I happen to know, and I don't happen to know, I have come to know that that something is the most important thing in any human being's life. And if we are fortunate enough to be able to know it, taste it, feel it, and live it for a period of time, we get to work with it. And it has extraordinary ramifications because every single human being, every single element of life is interconnected. So every single human being who is connected with that is actually resonating at that frequency and impacting the entire matrix, which is incredibly important. Some people only come to that moment in death. Yes. And that too is important to remember. I know what I've just said is big. Some people only come to that in death. 
I'll just pick up on that because the number one regret of the dying is that they hadn't lived a life being true to themselves. And in line with what you were saying about knowing oneself, Aristotle's famous quote is, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. And it is that knowing of oneself that allows you to live more fully. Wow, we're going really deep, very fast, <laughs> which is wonderful. I don't know that knowing myself is the beginning of all knowing. Right. I know that knowing myself is the beginning and the end of all knowing. In those moments when I truly know and feel, know that I know myself, I'm ready to die. I could die. It's fine. Everything is complete and everything is in order. Now, I've questioned most of my life since I first read that quote or assertion that the number one regret of the dying is that they haven't lived a life fully enough or done more or achieved more. I don't know if that's actually true. What I have experienced of being part of the transition of many people is that whilst that may be a feature to a degree, in that moment of transition, there is a recognition for many that everything is in order mm. and their entire existence. I had the opportunity to do a job in Oxford when I was a junior doctor in training in which I worked out at the end of it. It was over the winter period and, you know, we had pretty much an average of a death a day one way or another when you looked up at you know, everything that I dealt with over six months. That's a lot. Mm. And I went into that uncertain with my mind about the continuity of life or rather there was a certain level of uncertainty about it in the conventional world in which I had been trained. But I came out of that job absolutely certain that death is not the end. I mean, completely certain to every level of my being. And subsequently, as life has progressed to knowing death is not the end and there is no death. Now, that being the case, it begs the question for each of us what the purpose of life really is. And as I think you know, I went into medicine not because I wanted to be a doctor, but because it was very clear to me from the guidance that I received internally myself that it was the path I had to take at that moment in order to be able to fulfill whatever my purpose is. And so I went in to know, to want to understand the meaning of life and how it works. And part of the meaning of life in my experience is to prepare us for whatever this transition is, for the next iteration, whatever that is. And we could spend the entire time talking about that. But it comes from that inner knowing. It comes from that to be yourself in a world that is trying to make you into something else is, is the greatest achievement. Because to be yourself implies that there is something in you that already knows that both you are it and you aren't it. So what is required? And it is that spark, that flame, that breeds and vivifies curiosity, what you call curiosity. We could call it the spirit of inquiry. We could call it, you know, that what is it, what is it that makes the child want to crawl and, and pick up the little insect or play with the snake because it has no fear. It wants to know. It's exploring. And we are in this co-creative being world 
universe where we are constantly learning. And that curiosity has a very interesting alchemy because there is the innate, in my experience anyway, and the basis on which I work, there is an innate curiosity unique to the individual, unique to the individual. And there is the question, the curiosity that is driven by the environment in which a being is born and educated, grows up, lives and has its being on earth as a human. And there is a dance between them. And the more one lives and the more one questions, the more one begins to realize that it is set up in order to grow that innate sense of curiosity and the innate self to enable us to know it and then to choose. We can choose how we're going to respond to it and what we're going to do because we can't change it. Going back to what I was saying about regret because you can't, we may have taken a wrong turning or something like that, but is it wrong? We made a choice and we learned a lesson by it. And so it's not wrong. It's just a response. And the more we take that perspective in whatever we're doing, regret no longer exists because you have learned from whatever. I mean, I was talking to a client earlier and I was explaining you have been in this state and thought this way and and responded to the world in this way for the last 54 years or so. Don't expect when you're trying to create change that you might make a choice that is really not going to suit you and you'll get a two by four. But so long as you see it, as a lesson and have a laugh about it. And it's like, oh, well, that may be not the best of choice I've taken, but at least I know that now I'll try something else. It's recognizing the shifts of the curve with the different choices that we make. And actually, it's a bit like the word failure to me. You know, regret and failure are very strong vocabulary that actually inhibit people. And I think if we have a much broader perspective on what we are gaining from life it lifts the spirit and inspires that sense of curiosity as well now that's true it's absolutely true the challenge for all of us is when we are engaged in something make a choice make what we may experience as a mistake and are in the midst of the emotional response and physical response to whatever that might be to be able to shift perspective and that's no easy feat when you're in the slough of depression when you are wounded in love when you are facing the death of a loved one when you have worked your socks off and failed an exam or crashed the car or you know whatever at that moment to be able to be in a place where there's no regret or okay what was this for me, takes work. It takes practice. It really takes practice. You do not come out of the womb being able to be a concert pianist. You may have the seed of the concert pianist in you, 
but you find me any concert pianist who hasn't had to practice. You find me any carpenter, any baker, you know, any dancer, any human being who is skilled at something who hasn't practiced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's important. And it's the same with meaning. And it's the same with question. And so um, eventually we'll get to your question because the context in which you heard me say that was when I was speaking about what happened to me when I had a profound, cathartic, healing experience at the age of 16 at the hands of an Alexander teacher who created the environment both internally and externally for my spine to completely realign, correct, and heal, such that I was definitely not going to need to have surgery. And during the course of which experience, I had a profound cognition, and way more than cognition, but ability to process the inseparable connection between mind and body and perception and the importance of the messages that were flowing both ways, eventually getting myself home and sleeping for a very long time and getting up and going and sitting in meditation during which I found myself asking the question, where do questions come from? And the response to that question was, you are alive to the extent you are in question. And that's been with me ever since. So we're now talking about almost 60 years. That was like being given a koan. A koan is an, a phrase that is given by a Zen master to a disciple, student, that has no obvious rational answer. Like, I mean, the most famous one that is quoted is, for example, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Oh, I've never heard that. Wow. You meditate on that. That'll take you a long way. Long, 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 long way. You know, it's like the question, what is the meaning of life? These big questions that cannot be answered rationally, they cannot be answered with the intellectual mind. You know, where does life come from? These big questions, the questions that children do come in with, they exist for a reason, because they create life. They create a search. It is the question that will lead somebody into genuine science. And I am just for a moment going to completely dismiss what we have been fed as science, especially the last three years. <laughs> True science is a spiritual practice. And I use that word advisedly because for me, the meaning of the word spiritual is that which gives meaning. So it can be very genuinely, a spiritual experience for somebody to go to a football match. Just as much as it may be a spiritual experience for somebody to go and celebrate Mass in the cathedral. Just as it may be a spiritual experience to make love or go for a walk in nature. It's that which gives meaning. And that then opens something huge. But true science involves an intensity of inquiry that creates life. It creates meaning. It creates purpose. It creates drive. It creates energy. It creates determination. And you will find that most true scientists ply their 
trade, whatever it may be, in their inquiry as a result of an unanswerable question that comes from inspiration, which may be triggered by having a psychedelic experience. It may be triggered by going into an altered state, you know, with a breathing exercise or by some other form of experience in life. Whatever it is that inspiration comes, generates the question, which then fuels an entire existence. And that one existence goes on to fuel billions of existences. Absolutely. It ignites the spark within. And so it keeps what I term is that it is that spirit, is the spark, is the that inner knowing. But it equally, in some of the stories you've just been saying, our experiences, be they traumatic or whatever, come around because it reignites that spark within to help us create homeostasis and balance and getting back on track and connect to that spark within. I know in the interview that I heard you speak, where a lot of people talk about purpose, you have a delicious word that I had never come across, which is telos. I'd be grateful if you could expand on the meaning of that because it's so much more deeper and meaningful to me, and I'm sure my audience would appreciate it too. Thank you. There is a magic dance between purpose and telos. I don't think there is a human being alive who at some point in their life, whether they are crippled, deformed, genetically challenged, whatever, that doesn't at some point in their life have the sense that they have purpose because life has purpose. For me, telos emerged as a word that has meaning to embrace the totality of what I experienced on my journey through medicine as representing the meaning and purpose of any individual human's life. It's a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word meaning the end in mind. I wrote about this whole subject in the paper Diseases of Meaning, Manifestations of Health and Metaphor, which you know, we can certainly make available to your listeners, which was born out of a very particular experience and opportunity that I had that I don't need to go into. But I mention it because it was part of a trajectory that also led me to working with a number of different peoples, amongst which was John Martini, whose work I love and is so extraordinary. And it was John who was using Telos in a particular way that was so deeply resonant. End in mind, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate representation or manifestation of a thing or a life is its telos. If I give you an example, if we think about an acorn, what is the telos of the acorn? Well, the simple answer is to become an oak tree. Mm -hmm. But there are animals that also eat the acorns that are grown by the oak tree. So is the telos of that acorn to become animals? Is the telos of that acorn to be the beautiful oak table that you have in your dining room that came from the oak tree that was born of the acorn? It's all of those things. Mm. And ultimately, the telos of that acorn is to serve 
the manifestation of life. And that is the truth and is true for every single human if we bring it back to the human realm. So in my work with people and through medicine, and you know, the true meaning of the word medicine is it is so much more than the biomolecular paradigm that we are currently constrained by and the pharmaceutical attempt to manipulate. It's so much more. Mm. And it becomes apparent when you have the curiosity as a student of medicine to ask, well, why has this patient got these symptoms? Why is this patient sick? What is sickness? What is health? And those questions, which have layer upon layer of answers, each will take you deeper until you begin to find that you have an experience of sitting with a human who may or may not be suffering. And you begin to listen and hear that they have a purpose and you can feel that and you can feel the struggle that is in them. And you begin to realize that whatever is happening in their lives has meaning and meaning that is unique to them. And that that meaning that is unique to them is actually seeking to guide them to know their telos and to be able to fulfill it. Because the vast majority of people do not know what their telos is. They don't know what their purpose is. Going back to the beginning, you know, with the quote about accomplishment, we've been led to believe we are nothing until such time as we follow a certain predetermined path that will lead us to success. And then the sickness lies in the fact that we've been shut down and ignored our own curiosity and connection to ourselves, which would provide that answer. And to me, the underlying purpose of everything I do is really empowering people to reconnect to themselves. And with that deeper understanding, just in your own journey as well, it's like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And you create new meanings all the time with the deeper the connection. I failed everything at school because I'm so curious and I could not be confined within something. But over the years, I'm all over the place. It's just fascinating and how interconnected everything is. And that recognition that being in the moment and just trusting and following my intuition and the spark within is going to guide me. And I think, you know, with yourself, irrespective of what other people think, because your own journey was a reflection of you're doing something where you're very esteemed, practicing medicine and learning it. But on the side, great courage in learning. I love the term that you came across, it's fringe medicine, as it was determined back then that you could have been kicked out. But that deeper knowing inside you kept you going. And I think that would be great if people could connect to that real knowing telos that drives them and not to question too much with the rational mind. But that's bloody hard because we're so confined to everything that we need to know is within the brain. Yes, that's true. You know, the interesting thing here is that you know what is true for you. Mm. When somebody tells you that something has to be a certain way, but you know that it doesn't, because of your own experience, you know. It can be suppressed. But people do because we have a tendency to 
have a need to justify that inner knowing and rationalize it against what people are advising us is best for us, but we know best. And we're ignoring what we know is best for us. Yeah. And at the same time, that is also relative, isn't it? So a three-year-old child wanting to run out and cross a busy road just because there's somebody they want to see that's on the other side will be constrained by you, the parent, because actually at that moment, you probably do know what is best. And therein lies the law of relativity. We live in time and space on this planet, which at the same time lives in a timeless, spaceless universe our universe of universes, whatever, we don't really have a word to embrace that divine magnificence. You know, I mentioned earlier the word koan, mm -hmm. an unanswerable question. You know, the timeless, spaceless, no beginning, no end, eternal, which births everything, is an experience that many, 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 many people have and have had and will continue to have because ultimately I'm absolutely certain it's at the core of all of our lives and of, of life itself. But that is like an irreconcilable expression in the context of a life that is manifest through polarity. How can there be no beginning and no end when what we see is the beginning? You know, I've got the beginning and the end of my hand. At the beginning and the end of my so-called life, this life. We have the beginning and the end of the time that we're going to talk. We have the beginning and the end. Everything has a beginning and an end. Everything has a middle and a circumference until you start really asking the question. And then when you really ask the question, then you go deeper and deeper and you say, well, where is the middle of the middle? And where is the middle of the middle of the middle? Or as in quantum physics, and these brilliant, super amazing minds who are going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and they're wanting to explore the subatomic particles down. And now we're trying to go, you know, even further down. It's never ending. Yeah, yeah. And it will be never ending until such moment as something breaks through. And we witness that and we can read that in the writings and musings of every single great great scientist that has lived there is always that sense of awe and wonder i think that's that sense of definitive right or wrong it's a knowing that it is there's infinite possibilities and as i said earlier the there more you, you question something the meaning of it the deeper the meaning it becomes and so again this curiosity and connection is really key it is. I actually believe that it is the greatest thing that you can nurture, foster and grow in a child. Yes, absolutely. And to observe what are that child's natural inclinations? Where are its real interests? Because the, the amazing thing is that they're all different. You know, and this will take us you know, right into a where does that come from? Okay, it comes from the genetics of both parents, and that means the epigenetics of the families and the lineages of both those parents. And what is that for? I believe each individual has an opportunity to confront and resolve the unresolved issues that are carried, that are encoded in that material. And by resolve, 
I don't mean just put to sleep. I mean actually see and transform into gratitude and love for whatever it may be. And that's a challenging thing to say when, as in my own family, you know, there was very traumatic experience through certainly the Second World War and probably others. All of that's carried. All of that is encoded in each individual. And all of that with its particular charges will give rise to the unique expression through that child, through that newborn child that will then give rise by virtue of the law of resonance to what happens in that child's life as it grows up and everybody else that's associated with it. And curiosity is at the core of that, is at the centre of it, if we are able not to interfere with it. I agree. It just brings to mind I was a teacher aide at a primary school with for um one-on-one with um a young boy who had autism. And I was privileged to be with him in year one right the way through to year six. And he wouldn't say a word to anybody, but by the end of year six, he stood up and did a three-minute speech, which was tear-jerking in and of itself. But the learning because is so curious. He's so, he was so in the moment every day and you had to think on your feet and see things from a different perspective every single day. And what he taught the rest of the class, the compassion, it was just such a phenomenal experience. And I felt so privileged to be part of this young man's journey. And I think everybody brings something to us you know a lot of people would look at them as with a disability but by goodness if you take a step back and see all the lessons that they bring with it and it's so refreshing and that curiosity was there every moment of every day that I spent with him in that six years it was just phenomenal and I'm still in contact with him now that was 25 years ago yeah well I'm very curious to know how he is now a very independent young man What a wonderful thing. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful thing. So if we bring it back to the the whole notion of meaning, you get to see the magic of it. What was the meaning? What is the meaning of this young man's life? What was it when he was growing up? How fortunate for him that destiny had it, fate, whatever you want to call it, that it was you who was there as part of his journey, you've just described the impact of that one being's life. Mm. And then we start to look at what the impact of all of those beings who were in the class with him and you and your life ever since. Mm. We can then ask what that the meaning of that life is for him. Because I'm absolutely certain that as you were with him between years one and six, you will have begun to be able to converse with him by virtue of your presence without needing words. Yes, yeah. So you begin to be able to be present to the questions that were with him, what was driving his curiosity. I think the beauty of it was, and I also, it was the teacher that I, who was um, in charge of the class as well, she had a really big open mind, but I think the beauty of it was because there was no system for embracing 
a child with disability within a group of 11 other children. There was no agenda. There was nothing that we had to follow. So we both worked instinctively and together. It was very organic, which was fantastic. We could talk forever and ever, and I'm definitely going to ask you to come back again. So has there been a book and or a person that has really influenced you and the meaning for your life? Yes, there is. I mean, there of course, there are many books. I want to mention two, if I may. Yeah, please do. I mean, no, I'm going to mention three. When I was 16, that yep. I started reading a book called Hairback, H-E-R, second word, B-A-K, written by a woman called Isha Shwala de Lubix. It's not a book that you will find readily. It happened to be on my parents' bookshelf. And it is the story of a young Egyptian boy who becomes fascinated by the temple and wants to gain access. And it's the story of his journey. It absolutely gripped. Gripped is the wrong word. It entered into my being because I knew that this story was communicating so much more. In fact, it had such an impact that I thought already then at 16, well, it's too late for me. There's no chance. We don't have any schools like that that are in existence any longer. And But it lived in me and it worked in me and it continues to do so because those truths exist. They're in our life. And through those questions, we are actually rewarded with entry to whatever that temple is. The second book is Illusions by Richard Bach. Oh, yeah. Illusions is like a Bible for me. It's an incredible book, at least for me. It's very small, and whenever I travel, it always comes with me, and I will dip into it from time to time. It is absolutely timeless wisdom and alchemy in a beautiful story that can be shared with children or adults, and its wisdom will never, ever die. And the third book is a book I'm just coming to the close of now. I don't read a lot because I read very slowly. And it's a book called When You Die mm. by a man called Lawrence Kurtzer in South Africa. It's a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable book. It's written in a way that it is accessible to anybody. And it contains wisdom that I think could help people throughout their lives and throughout their suffering and especially in death. It's wisdom that people need and to be taught that has largely disappeared from our culture. You will only ever be able to get it by going online to his website at the moment. I'll put that in the show. Um, yep. I'd like to get 200 copies and send it to just about everybody I know at this point. And of course, it won't appeal to everybody, but it's real wisdom. And it's born of his own real life experience and work, more importantly. Those are the three top that come to my mind in this moment. And is there any particular person that has been of great influence to you? I mean, there are spiritual teachers who have been incredibly important in my life. And one of those is George Gurdjieff, whose life and work has had a seminal impact on my own because. I was born into it and grew up in it. That's another whole story. I also want to say, and I say so with a degree of temerity because I have never done so before, but in the, I could say, mythical sense, 
to some extent, because there's such a controversy as to whether or not this man existed or not. The life of the so-called Jesus impacted me since the beginning of my life. I had a connection with a being that called himself that before I read anything. And I mention it not within the context of conventional religion at all, because the true depth and profundity of those teachings, I believe, have been constrained, let's put it, to just as much as the desecration of science that we've recently been experiencing. Yeah. And um, the third person I would mention is somebody who taught me when I was an undergraduate and with whom I worked for many years, Professor David Smith. When I was at university, I changed from agricultural sciences and forestry into doing medicine, which is a story in itself, some of which you know. And when I made that change, at first I wasn't going to be allowed to do it. And so I ended up at the end of my first year of agricultural sciences and medicine with a term in which I could do whatever I wanted. I could stay or not stay at the university. And I chose to stay. I didn't have to do anything. So I asked if I could organize my own tutorials. And I heard this man give a lecture which was so inspiring about the brain. I was absolutely consumed with A, wanting to be able to talk to him and B, to have a tutorial with him. His curiosity was sparked in me from right at the beginning. And what he did was recognize it. And instead of putting up the ordinary barriers, he just said yes. And the entire Oxford project to investigate memory and aging and massive developments and discoveries arose out of it and a whole lot more besides. And I mention him very specifically because it was not always easy. But you know, some of the greatest influences in our lives come from the greatest challenges. And to have a teacher who recognizes your own innate ability, because he was the one to whom I took the results of my acupuncture study he was the first person I took those results to, and he was the first person to look at them and just say to me, how did you do that? Instead of, this is crazy, it was stupid, he's a true scientist and a human. And to have that kind of guidance, support, and challenge, huge challenge, is one of the greatest gifts that any anybody growing up and in education can have. And I was really blessed to have that, and not just in one person, but he stands out right now. Wow, phenomenal. And I could speak, honestly, I have been so blessed, Philippa, you know, my relationship with John Martini and his work. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a giant of a human being. Well, going back to the beginning my... of our conversation, we met at the book launch um, for Inspiration Bible, and John Martini was there too. Yeah, he was there, you know, and there were others. What happens with these people, the true teachers, help you to realize that every single person in front of you is your teacher? Yes, including the youngsters where I was teaching the young boy with Asperger's. A lot of adults think that they are superior to because of the age difference, but it's about sitting back and listening and watching and observing So just as I started off with my favourite quote, do you have a favourite quote? I do. God, I need to find it. (laughs) No, I'm going to use this one. 
because this is really practical. And I know this to be true with every single fiber of my being. And for every single person who's listening, who may be struggling, trying to manifest, trying to do something, trying to understand how, take this in, write it down and be with it. When the what and the why is loud enough, clear enough and strong enough, the how takes care of itself. It is an alchemical formula. Do you know where it came from? I alt- No, I don't, um, because I've heard it in different forms, slightly differently articulated. It's something that John Martini uses a lot. I knew it from before. Mm. It's timeless. I don't know whether it actually has a single attribution, because you will find it in one form or another in all the great traditions. But it's specific. The what and the why are part of the intention to which that timeless, spaceless, beginningless, endless, innate intelligence responds to make manifest. And I know it to be true now through my life. I've put it to the test many times. Brilliant. Very wise words. So you're a very compassionate, thoughtful, deep human being with a big heart. I'm sure there are aspects of you that you've had your own challenges. What do you do when you find yourself in a funk? How do you lift your spirit or move through the funk? Well, I've I've actually just recently had a big funk. And I've tried lots of different things throughout the course of my life. And the greatest gift of recent times has been an even deeper understanding of what it means to truly feel what you're feeling and not to try to escape it. Fascinating. I was saying the same thing to my client this evening about the discomfort. It's important to feel it for what it is and to acknowledge it. Then we can do all kinds of things with it. Yep. But you know, whether we use a distraction, whether we use a substance, a behavior, a pill, a potion to somehow numb it or block it, until and unless we understand, not understand, until and unless we can really feel it and know it, we can't A, let it out through because it's there to pass through its energy in motion. And nor can we then look at what it's bringing us, what its benefits for us are. So it is absolutely vital to be able to experience it fully and identify it, which can be extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But, you know, only then can we work with it in a different way. And the most amazing thing is that so often when we are able to do and be that it changes in and of itself it will pass through but we're in a body and we're in time and space so that may take time yeah yeah we need to find out those who can help us do that be that without just trying to get rid of it it's allowing it and not trying to 
fix it. It's allowing it to be in the state it needs to be in order to yeah. pass through. Mm. But, you know, Philippa, having said that, I'm also not saying that we don't need intervention at certain times. Yeah. I really want to make that clear. But I also want to, here's a quote from one of my mentors, one of the most knowledgeable people in his field that I know, who never completed any formal training. When he said to me at one point, Kim, remember, pain points the finger to the unlearned lesson. Mm. And that is not just physically. Do you know, we need mentors around us, teachers and people and support around us who get it. Absolutely. And those who work with you are very fortunate. Thank you. Bless you. So to round things off, if I was your fairy godmother and could grant you one wish in the world, what would that wish be that you would like to change? What change would you like to see or help create? Well, I might surprise you. There's nothing I would change. Interesting you say that. Not surprising. You know, we touched on this right at the very beginning, which may or may not have been in the recorded part. I don't know. Can't remember. But there are certain states in which we can experience directly the perfection of the innate order. And in those states, we know that if we moved one subatomic particle, the entire universe would collapse. It's that precise. Now, those are very rarefied, high-frequency states. And in our everyday existence, it is well-nigh impossible to be fully conscious of those while we are going around the supermarket, you know, getting loo paper and eggs. But it's a fact. And this was born in me when I was very young. And I remember hearing people saying, I want to leave the world a better place. It doesn't make sense to me. It never did. We can open a whole discussion about what it means for it to be better. But ultimately, even this global, I'm going to call it mayhem, is ultimately part of that same innate order and intelligence and is in existence to serve our and its evolution. It's really crucial that, that the word evolution there, where you use mayhem. I was thinking mess and chaos and it's a bit like a storm and fires and all the elements stir things up and evolve things and change is constant. Nothing is ever static. And so that is the important thing is I think recognising everything is continuously evolving in divine timing. It is. It is. So thank you so much for coming, Fairy Godmother. <laughs> I can honestly say to you, it's not that I want to change anything. It really isn't. I would love to be able to participate more in the awakening of human beings to the magic that lies inside them. Wow. And to recognize where they really come from and what they truly represent. The miracle of the existence of a human organism even if you simply stay within a biomolecular paradigm, is so phenomenal. Yeah. You know, we humans can't even create a cell, let alone 50 trillion of them yeah. coordinated in a way that exists in the human body. Yeah. And I, if I may, take this one step further for everybody, and that is that 
is for people to recognize that they don't get illness from the outside. It is not something that is done to them. Although, gosh, we need to put that into context with what is happening globally. But to, to recognize that actually it's an expression of health happening within them in order for them to be who they really are. And you know what I've found in my life is that when people realize this or when they come across somebody like me who can share that perspective with them, there's this huge sense of relief because most people know it's not random and that we can share. So beautifully worded. And it is that magic wand. I need not be the fairy godmother, but it's the energy is the magic and we are a part of it and, and a part of the universe. And I think embracing that and seeing the, the magic and the potential that we all have was just phenomenal. There's so many different tangents that we could go on. But for now, Kim, I would just like to say thank you so much for your time, energy, enthusiasm, and just true scrumminess that how much you have contributed to the conversation today. It's been enlightening. Thank you. Thank you, Philippa. Until soon. Bless you. Take care. Oh, so many potent gems. One of those podcasts you just have to listen to again to grasp the depth and breadth of the wisdom shared. If you wish to read a copy of the article he wrote on diseases of meaning manifestations of health and metaphor, you can contact Kim via email, the details of which are in the show notes. Next month, I'll be chewing the cud with Raphael Ray, a fun, no-nonsense, down-to-earth tarot reader, astrologer and numerology intuitive who uses these modalities to help people tune into their personal power. Raph was an early guest of mine back in March 2022 and I just had to ask him back to talk about fate, destiny and personal power and how you can tune into the universal energies to claim your sovereign self. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. Your feedback and reviews are much appreciated as are your suggestions for subjects or guests you'd like me to consider. Just email me on philippaross.com And whatever you do, don't forget to share this episode. So until next month, have fun, dig deep and open your mind to a world of possibilities. Live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.